Good morning. Thank you for joining us for this Thursday edition of Face the Truth, the weekday podcast of the Truth Church of Olathe, Kansas. As always, I count it a great honor to have you listening, and I trust that today's episode will be a blessing to everyone who tunes in. It was with great excitement that I announced to the church on Tuesday night, there is the possibility that we will be able to open our church as early as next Tuesday night. Now, this all depends on what action our county takes. Uh, The governor began phase one of her reopening plan on Monday of this week. That plan allows churches to meet without limitation to size so long as they maintain certain other requirements. Johnson County, however, decided to hold off for an extra week, meaning they would plan to join the rest of the state in Phase 1 on Monday, May the 11th. They also said, however, that they might consider postponing joining Phase 1 even longer. So we're going to have to wait for an announcement from the county before we actually know whether or not we will indeed be joining Phase 1 this coming Monday. I'm hoping that they'll make an announcement later today, but the fact is they will probably wait until Friday before they decide. If so, their decision will not be announced until after the airing of Friday's podcast, so we won't be able to let you know anything until the service on Sunday. Speaking of service on Sunday, please don't forget that we'll be having a mid-afternoon parking lot service. We'll begin at 2 p.m., and the service will last for approximately one hour. We do ask that you not get out of your car for any reason. The building is not going to be open for the public, including the use of restrooms, which is why we're limiting the service time to just one hour. I do hope that you're planning to join us for this very special Mother's Day event. I certainly look forward to seeing you there. Now, before moving into the biblical content of today's podcast, I want to express my gratitude to Brother Jared Hilton and Brother Andrew Merriman for filling in for me over the last three days. I am truly thankful for their willingness to lighten my load while I devoted my time to helping the pastors in Africa. Both men did a great job, and I sincerely appreciate their help. Now today, I plan to go back to our question and answer format. I still have a few questions on my list, which I've not yet addressed, and I want to do my best to deal with them in the next few episodes of Face the Truth. In the meantime, if you have a question about the Bible, about Christian living, or anything else that's of a spiritual nature, please don't hesitate to send that question to me via phone call, text, email, or direct message. So let's go now to a question I'm looking forward to answering. I believe it is something that everyone needs to understand. Here's the question. If a person received the Holy Ghost many years ago, does that person lose the Holy Ghost over time if they're out of church and haven't spoken in tongues? Can a person lose the Holy Ghost? What a great question. 
Now, before I answer this question, I do think it's important that I address a couple of related points. For the sake of some of our listeners who may not fully understand this glorious experience known as the gift of the Holy Ghost. So let me begin by stressing that a person must be filled with the Holy Ghost in order to be saved. I'm going to give you scriptures to prove that point, but first, let's just use logic. There's only one God, and that one God is a spirit, according to John 4.24. That spirit is also called the Holy One, in Psalm 71, 22, Psalm 78, 41, Psalm 89, 18 to 19, and many, many, many other scriptures. And because there's one God, that one God is a spirit, and that spirit is called the Holy One, the fact is God is the Holy Ghost. If he's a spirit, and he's the Holy One that makes him the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if you don't have the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, you don't have God. And if you don't have God, you're not saved. Now, having said that, I still want to give you a few scriptures that clearly declare you must have the Holy Ghost in order to be saved. I don't have time to do an in-depth study on this subject and at the same time, address the question that was submitted for this podcast. So I'm going to try to make it brief and to the point. First, Jesus said you must be born of the Spirit or else you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's John chapter 3, verse 5. Also, Peter told the penitent multitude when they asked him how to be saved that they had to repent they had to be baptized in Jesus' name, and they had to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can read about that in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 39. Acts 2, 37 through 39. Also, the Apostle Paul said that anyone who does not have the Spirit does not belong to God. And therefore, they're not a Christian. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Thus, receiving the Holy Ghost is essential for salvation. Now, the second thing that I want to point out to you before we move to the question at hand is this. When you receive the Holy Ghost, you will speak in other tongues. In John chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus said, Everyone that is born of the Spirit will be like the wind in that you will always hear its sound. The word sound comes from a Greek word which actually means voice or language. Thus, just like the wind has a language that identifies its presence, so everyone who is born of the Spirit will have a language that identifies their spiritual birth. Paul said that the Spirit of God will, quote, bear witness or that means testify that we have become the child of God. That's found in Romans 8, 16. When you take these two verses together, you should readily see that any time a person is born of the Spirit, there will be a language that testifies 
to the fact of their spiritual birth. Now, when we then go to the first mention of people actually receiving the Holy Ghost, we find out what this witness, what this testimony, what this voice, this sound is. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance or the ability to speak. So we see that the first time people received this experience, there was indeed a language that testified that the spiritual birth had taken place. These 120 Jews spoke in other tongues when they were born of the Spirit. Now, as I said, these were Jews. Let's see what happens the first time Gentiles receive the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 46. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. I want you to notice the Jews were astonished that the Gentiles had received the Holy Ghost. Well, how did the Jews know the Gentiles had received it? Look again at the beginning of verse 46. It says they knew this for or because they heard them speak with tongues. I hope you got that. When the Jews received the Holy Ghost, they spoke in tongues. When the Gentiles received the Holy Ghost, they spoke in tongues. I submit to you today that the evidence or the proof that a person has received the Holy Ghost is that they speak in other tongues. If you have never spoken in tongues, then you have never received the Holy Ghost. And if you've never received the Holy Ghost, you've never been born again. With all this in mind, let's get back to the question we want to answer today. What happens if a person hasn't spoken in tongues in many years? Is it possible to lose the Holy Ghost? The short answer is yes. It is definitely possible. However, I want to be clear that losing the Holy Ghost is not because of time per se. Rather, there's a process that one goes through that would bring them to such a place. Now, in order to understand what I'm talking about, we need to first understand a phrase that is used in the New Testament concerning the Holy Ghost. That phrase is the Holy Ghost and fire. John the Baptist used this phrase, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So think about this for just a moment. This is important for where I'm going. I want you to understand that John made fire an accompanying trait of the Holy Ghost. Then, as we consider this, we start looking through the New Testament and find that there are certain terms that are used in the Scripture with regards to our experience 
in the Holy Ghost. And these terms are also terms which can be applied to fire. Let's look at them. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Now, I'm not going to deal with this verse. I want to just look at this, this statement that Stephen made to these Israelites. He said, you resist the Holy Ghost. A fire is said to be resisted by a substance such as granite, which is inflammable. If you've got a, a, something like a rock, those kinds of things that cannot be burned, then you say that that stone, that, uh, that granite, whatever it is, is resisting the fire. And so it is when an individual will not allow the Holy Ghost to perform its function in his life. That individual is resisting the Holy Ghost. Now, what is the function of the Holy Ghost? Well, let's think about it. This spirit is called the Holy Ghost for a reason. It comes to make us holy. So let's look again at Matthew 3.11. We read a while ago the words of John the Baptist. But this time, I want to read the following verse as well. Matthew 3, 11 and 12. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will truly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John made it clear that the baptism of the Holy Ghost comes for the purpose of burning up the chaff in our lives. It comes to purify and to cleanse us. So when a person refuses to allow the Holy Ghost to do that, when they refuse to listen to the convicting power of the Spirit upon their hearts, they are resisting the Holy Ghost. And this can lead to losing the experience altogether. A second term is also used to compare the Holy Ghost experience to the way fire is dealt with. It's mentioned in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 4 verse 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now a fire can be grieved by denying it fuel or denying it oxygen. When these necessities are taken away, the fire slowly burns out. Now let's continue reading in Ephesians 4 and, and watch this explained even further. Ephesians 4 verses 31 and 32, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now, do you understand bitterness, wrath, anger... Evil speaking, these things are a part of our human nature. The Spirit of God ought to be able to burn these things out of us. And if, 
if we don't allow the Spirit to burn them out of us, then we are resisting the Holy Ghost. But let's go on, verse 32, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So in verse 32, Paul talks about what we should be doing. Verse 31, the things that ought to be burned up in our lives. But verse 32, the things that we should be adding to our life that will keep the fire burning. We need to be adding forgiveness and kindness. We need to be adding these things so that the fire can burn even brighter in our lives. If we don't add the things that the Holy Ghost requires for our spiritual well-being, then we are grieving the Holy Ghost. Have you ever uh, put something over a, a candle? Uh, maybe there's a candle in a glass. I've, I've done this before sitting at a, a restaurant table when I was younger and they would put a candle in a glass and then I would take the menu or something and cover that glass over. When the oxygen is taken away, the fire begins to die. It doesn't have what it needs to continue to burn. And that's what I'm saying to you. When we deny the Holy Ghost the things it needs to continue to burn in our life, then we're grieving the Spirit. Now, I also need to point out to you that things like prayer, Bible reading, church attendance, these are all things that help keep the fire burning in our lives. And failure to add these things will grieve the Spirit, causing that flame to slowly die out in our walk with God. Now, this may well be where the individual mentioned in the original question finds himself today. By his failure to be in church, to read his Bible, to spend time in prayer, he is denying the fire of the Spirit, the essential ingredients it needs to keep burning in his life. The third phrase that's used to compare the Holy Ghost to fire is found in Paul's first letter to Thessalonica. Listen to this. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 Quench not the spirit. You know, the word quench means to extinguish. It means to put it out. And when uh, something is added to a fire, something like water, something like dirt, when there are things added to that fire that is adverse to the burning of the fire, it extinguishes the flames altogether. And so when an individual adds the adverse materials of worldliness and unrighteousness, he is quenching the Spirit's fire. These things are contrary to the very nature of God who is holy. The more a person gives in to his carnal desires, pursues the lusts of his flesh, the lust of his eyes, the pride of life, the closer he comes to putting out the fire of the Holy Ghost altogether. You just cannot live a life that is displeasing to God and expect God to continue to live in a temple that is not kept clean. Think about it. Would you want to live in a house that was never clean? What if it not only was never cleaned, but someone was constantly dropping trash everywhere? What if they traipsed through uh, the carpet with mud and grime, walked around the room, and left their filthy footprints everywhere? 
Now let's add one more dimension to this. What about if you are trying to clean that home and every time you mop the floor, they immediately walk in and leave muddy footprints. Every time you try to vacuum the carpet, they're dumping trash on it. How long are you going to continue to live in that situation? Why do we think God would want to live in the temple of our body if we're constantly doing things that we know displease Him? God gave us the Holy Ghost for the purpose of making us holy, making us clean. And if we are constantly filling our lives with unclean things, how long will God keep trying to clean up after us? Now, please don't misunderstand me. God is a very merciful God. He is not going to walk away the first time you mess up or the second time or the third time for that matter. In fact, I truly believe that as long as you're willing to let him clean you up, he has no plans to ever leave. We just have to be careful that we don't reach a place where we're no longer allowing him to make the necessary changes in our lives that he came into our lives to do in the first place. The Bible is very clear about God's willingness to forgive. 1 John 1 and 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Please don't draw the wrong conclusion and feel like there's no hope for you because you keep making mistakes. My point is not to make you think God is looking for the chance to give up on you. Quite the contrary. He'll continue looking for the chance to forgive you so long as you're willing to ask Him. I am only trying to respond to a question about whether or not it's possible to lose the Holy Ghost, and the answer obviously is yes. However, I truly believe it takes a lot of resisting, quenching, and or grieving the Holy Ghost before the Lord says He's done. He loves you too much to give up easily. He proved that centuries ago when he suffered the anguish and agony of Calvary. As long as you sincerely want him to keep cleaning you up, you can count on the fact that he will do exactly that. In fact, there is a passage of scripture that we must never forget about. It should bring comfort and peace to us anytime we think God is about to give up on us. Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Every day, my friend, when you awaken, there is new mercy, new compassion waiting just for you. Regardless of how many times you had to ask for mercy yesterday or the day before that or the day before that, there's a brand new measure of mercy being extended to you today. Indeed, great is his faithfulness. Before I conclude today's podcast, 
let me encourage you to attend our special Mother's Day service this Sunday, May the 10th at 2 p.m. If you're unable to make it for whatever reason, we will be live streaming the service as well. Once again, thank you for joining us today. Please let me remind you, we are here to help you in any way we can. If there is anything you need, please don't hesitate to contact us. Thank you to everyone who has sent prayer requests. And let me just ask you, continue to avail yourself of this very important tool. Send your prayer requests to prayer at olathatruth.com. That's prayer at olathatruth.com. Until our next podcast, take care. And God bless.